welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Welcome, 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 everybody. So if you didn't know, uh, about half of the, the church is up on a retreat in McGregor, Minnesota at Covenant Pines. I think we had over 130 people up there, including kids this year. So that's like almost double the amount of people we've ever brought on a, on a retreat. So that's awesome. Um, we drove, John Mark and, and a few of us drove back last night in the wee hours of the morning because we wanted to see you all. Do you believe me? <laughs> no, seriously. Um, I am glad to be here. Very glad to be here. Uh, la- it's funny, last week, how many of you were here first hour last week, by show of hands? First hour last week. Okay, um, I usually don't do this, but can you just please listen to the podcast from last week, from second hour? Because last week, first hour was, if I were being totally honest, not good. And second hour was like everything I wanted to say in first hour, but just couldn't get out. So if you're a podcaster, go back and listen to that one, because it's like, it's an A, and, and first hour was not an A, in my humble opinion as a preacher who's done this for 16 years. So uh, we get one shot at this today, though, guys, only one shot, so it better be good, uh, or we're just not going to post it. There you go. We're not even going to post it. Um, We are in a series called Wells and Fences, and we're wrapping it up today. So this is the last week of Wells and Fences. I don't know if you guys got the dramatic reveal here. There's no fence anymore, right? Right? So it's just a well. It's just a well. That's all we're doing. Uh, If you have no idea what I'm talking about, um, hopefully you will by the end of this. But this series on Wells and Fences has been a conversation about what kind of church do we want to be. What are the things that we want to mark us as a community? So when people come to Awaken for the first time, what kind of experience do we hope they might have? Or what are the kinds of things we hope they might say about their experience here? Um, how, do, how will we be with one another is a good way to say it. I remember the first conversation I had with Jane Berg uh, when we were interviewing for uh, her position. We were talking and she said, you know, Mike, I have a lot of questions about this certain topic and A lot of things that I'm uncertain of, but one thing I know is this. I know how we are to be together, which will be marked by love and grace. Um, So that's what this series is about. We've been using this picture of a bounded set and a centered set to kind of uh, understand two different ways that communities are often uh, together or two ideas that guide them. And on the left, uh, the, the, the bounded set, the question that matters the most is, do you believe what we believe? And if I'm being honest, this is most religious community. Do you believe what we believe? And that's the most important thing. And if you do, then welcome. And if you don't, then until you do, sort of welcome, right? But on the other side, you have a centered set, which is to say there is a radical commitment to that which is in the center. And the question that I think that matters the most in this way of being together is are you thirsty? Or even... What direction are you moving? Are you moving towards the center? Uh, and we at Awaken are saying that this well is in fact the life and the teachings, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the Christ. That's the center. That's the well. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you a, a drink of living water and you'll never thirst again. And so there's something that Jesus offers that satisfies the deepest longings of our soul. That's what we're affirming in saying that. 
And so in this series, we've been walking through these six different affirmations of the covenant denomination, the evangelical covenant, which we are a part of, if you didn't know. And so we've looked at the centrality of the scriptures, the necessity for new birth, the church uh, as a fellowship of believers, a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit, the whole mission of the church last week, and this week I want to explore this idea of freedom in Christ. So what does it mean to be free in Christ? Cue, is it Aretha that sings that? Freedom, freedom. Cue that up. Is that who sings that song? Aretha Franklin? Does anybody even know? Yes? I've got it. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'll be here all week. Did you know we used to meet in a comedy club, so that joke was even better there. But I'm still rocking it. Freedom. Such an interesting word in our day, and especially in an election season, right? I mean, what is freedom? So I did a little prep work for you. I did a little theological homework on the Googles. Merriam-Webster says this about freedom. Freedom is the quality. There's a lot to be said about freedom. Freedom is the quality or state of being free as, number one, the absence of necessity, coercion, or constraint in choice or action. Uh, liberation from slavery or restraint from the power of another, i.e. independence. The quality or state of being exempt or released, usually from something onerous. Isn't that a great word? It looks like oneness, but it's not. It's onerous. Uh, ease, facility. It is onerous, I'm pretty sure. Uh, ease, facility, spoke with the language of freedom, or the quality of being frank, open or outspoken. Uh, improper familiarity, that's an interesting one. Boldness of conception or execution. Unrestricted use, I'm free, unrestricted. Or in another way, a political right. I would argue that in our day and in our culture, in our time, I don't think it's a stretch at all to say that when we say the word freedom, it is largely understood on an individual level. So in America, when we talk about freedom, it's often, if not always, connected to me and my personal freedoms, my personal rights, my individual things I might be entitled to. And surprise to no one, I want to argue that that completely and utterly misses the point of the scripture that speaks about freedom. That when the scriptures talk about freedom, it is not talking about your own personal individual freedoms, rights, entitlements. In fact, it's talking about something far different than that, maybe even opposite of that. Freedom is not necessarily about you, but it's something, it's actually about your neighbor. It's about the other. It's about the person sitting next to you. And in Christian community, freedom is something that we give to one another, not something that we consume ourselves. So it's totally flipped on its head. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to look at freedom from a theological perspective. So we'll look at a couple of passages from Galatians and Romans. Galatians talks about the theology. Romans are the practical implications. Paul then takes freedom, the idea, and plays that out for a community, a church just like ours, meeting in Rome. So theological and then practical. And then what is it going to require of us? For Awaken, you and I, if we're saying we affirm freedom in Christ and we want to live into this and we want to be a well and not a, not a bounded set, we want to be a centered set, what are the implications for you and I? All right? So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Galatians chapter 5, and if you would, stand while we read the scriptures. This is a long one, I will warn you. So if you can, join me in standing. Galatians chapter 5. Did you know in the Bible, there's a couple of, passages, a couple of books in the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 
General Electric Power Company. You'll always remember. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. The youth group kids loved that one. But you are not youth group kids, so I'll stop saying that. Chapter 5, verse 1. We'll read a couple of different parts from chapter 5 of Galatians, and then we'll flip back to Romans. All right? Starting in verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. Again, I declare every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You are trying to be justified by the law. You've been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Skip down to verse 13 of chapter 5. You then, brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Romans chapter 14 says this, starting in verse 2. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat the one uh, with contempt, the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God accepted them. Verse 5. One person considers one more day sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind with regards to one day as special uh, does, does, does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. Verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. For I am convinced, Paul says, being fully persuaded in the Lord, nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your, own, or do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Now listen carefully to this one. This is how he wraps it up. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep them between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Pray with me if you will. God, as we gather in this place this morning, we're grateful for who you have uh, called us to be, who you've invited us to be as your church. We thank you for those that are away on retreat. We thank you for those that are here. This body called your church, Awaken. And I pray and I, and I ask that you would guide us this morning as we navigate the waters of what does it mean to be free in you, Jesus? What does it mean to be free in Christ? And how we give that to one another as a gift. Teach us, I pray. Holy Spirit, lead us. Open our eyes, Spirit. We pray in all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, there was a lot there, I recognize, 
But I wanted to show, I wanted to read all of that because what Paul does is he tells us essentially like what he's talking about in Galatians and to this church. And then he fleshes that out in a couple of different ways in Romans. So let's unpack that. First, theologically, what is Paul saying when he's saying you're free in Christ? I've said this before, but it is absolutely worth repeating. It's important for us to remember, remember that we are free from something and we are free for something when we're talking about freedom. So freedom from and freedom for. Paul is addressing this church in Galatia, small little group of people, Jesus followers, and he's addressing two specific issues. So he's writing a letter to this church. It's a real place with real people, just like you and me. And there are two things that keep coming up in this church in Galatia. One of them is a group of people called Judaizers. They're essentially saying that in order to be a part of the new group of Jesus followers, you have to say yes to Jesus, but then you have to follow the law. So if you remember the story of the scriptures, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. It begins with Abram, Father Abraham had many sins, many sins, and I am one of them. Israel becomes a nation and then gets this law, right? Charlton Heston up on the mountain. Ten commandments and everything else that follows. 613 commands is Torah, is the law. So the Judaizers are saying, you can become a Christian, you can follow this Jesus, but then you have to get circumcised, you have to follow the dietary laws, you have to do all these things. And of course you can imagine the Gentiles are saying, H that T, hold that thought. You're saying that I have to, like, as an adult, be circumcised. Not cool, man. <laughs> Not cool at all. Essentially, their, their idea is that you can become a part of the covenant, but then to stay a part of the covenant, you have to fulfill the covenant law. It's called covenantal nomism, to be specific. And Paul's addressing that, and he's saying you're free from something, and you're free for something. So covenantal nomism. And then the other thing was this idea of like extreme liberty. It was like hedonism in terms of sexual immorality. So in Galatia, in the culture that they lived in, there was this sort of blatant disrespect and disregard for uh, a covenantal understanding of human sexuality. And so it was sort of sex with whoever and whenever. And Paul's saying no to this on one, he's saying you're free in Christ, which means this to you, and you're free in Christ, which means this to you. You're free from something, and you're free for something. It's not that, and it's not that. So let me tell you what it is, right? So what is Paul saying you're free from? You're free from sin. You're free from sin and its effects. You are no longer a slave to that which enslaved you before. That thing that keeps, that's mas that has mastery over you, that thing that you can't kick, that thing that you feel like it, it's like controls you. Paul is essentially saying, in Christ, you're free from that. Something has happened in Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus ensures victory over the things that bring us down. You're free from sin. You're free from the law and adherence to the law, which is his comment to the, to the Judaizers. You have been justified by faith in Christ, not by adherence to the law. It's not your goodness or your holiness or your strict adherence to some code that makes you justified or in right standing with God. No, it's by faith, he says. So to those of you who are still trying to appeal to the law, you're missing out on grace. And if you appeal to the law and you try to live by the law, then you're judged by the law, right? Basically, if you want to play by the rules of the law, then you're judged by the rules of the law. But in Christ, there's a new game, and that game is freedom. It's 
grace through faith, Paul says. So something has happened in Jesus, and it's offered to you, but you keep playing by the old rules in the old game. And if you want to do that, then you're judged by the old rules in the old game. And you can't do it, which is why it's good news that grace is offered by faith in Christ. So you're free from the law and the requirements of the law. And in Paul's specific, Pacific, in Paul's specific context, he's on the West Coast. In Paul's specific context, he's essentially saying the law to a bunch of Jewish people, right? And I would just sort of translate that or fast forward to our day and our age. We're not talking about the same thing, but I think that there's a spirit that drives what Paul was getting at. The spirit of this sort of strict adherence to some sort of fundamentalist holiness code. And there are our versions of the law in our day and in our age. And I think Paul would say you're free from that, from those things. Strict adherence to those things is not what justifies you. It's grace and it's faith. So in Christ, you're free from sin and from the law, and which then means you're free from judgment. Hallelujah, praise Jesus. You're free from judgment. And the desire that is in us to stand as judge over and against one another. In Genesis chapter 3, the serpent says to Eve, did God really say? Which introduces this insidious idea into the garden, which is that God is holding out on you. And that in fact, everything you need and everything that, everything that you need is yours in God. Did God really say? Is God really as good as God says? So question, do you believe that God is really, in fact, benevolent, good? That the truest thing in the heart of God is goodness? Do you believe that everything you have, everything you need, you have in God? Do you really believe that the source of your life and value and worth, as Paul says, is hidden with God in Christ? If you don't, you have to get it somewhere else. And that somewhere else is the difference between you and me in the form of judgment and comparison. So if I don't have everything I need, if God is holding out and there's still more for me to get, the only way I get it is to find the gap in the distance between you and me and derive meaning and value from it. It's called comparison and judgment. It's what we do every day. You're free from judgment. Good news, friends. You have everything you need in God. There's nothing more that's out there that's available to you as a human that has not already been given and offered to you in Christ. You're free from judgment. So good news, you don't have to play. Swipe left on judgment, right? For those of you who don't get it, I don't even know what to say. What a bizarre... Like, can we stop for a second and just talk about that idea, right? Swipe right, swipe left. Like, that's our, that's humanity. Wow. But anyway, swipe left on judgment, y'all. Swipe left. Is it? I don't even, I don't have this app, obviously. I'm a married man. So is it swipe left if you don't like it? Yeah? People are like, I'm not saying it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Bottom line, you don't have to play. You can opt out. Why? 
Because everything you need is already yours in Christ. You're free from judgment. You don't have to play the game. Which means, friends, you're free from sin, you're free from the law and its requirements, you're free from judgment, and you're free for love. You are free to agree with God that your neighbor has value and worth because they were created in the image of God. You're free for love. Oh, man, that's good news. Good news. All that you have, your life, your value, your worth, identity, is as a son or a daughter in Christ. Then you're free for love. There's nothing more you need. You don't need to get anything from anyone. There's no distance that needs to be created and no derivative that has to happen, no comparing, no contrasting, no judging, no trying to, to get value and worth out of whatever distance there is between you and me. You don't even need to do it. You're free for love. Good news. This is the gospel. You're free from sin. You're free from the law and its requirements. It's already been paid, Paul says, and you're free for love. So this is what he's getting at when he's saying you're free in Christ. Theologically. Now, what does that mean? How does he play that out? Because we can talk about ideas all day, right? I love ideas. But like, put it on the ground, Micah. What are we talking about? Paul in Romans 14, he plays this out. And to us, it may sound a little bizarre, like eating meat sacrificed to idols, and if one person wants to eat vegetables and the other person doesn't, like, what are we talking about here? Paul uses three examples Food, sacred days, like which day should we worship on, which day is sacred, which day isn't, and alcohol, drinking or not drinking. Those are the three, three in, that, in that passage. And he takes a whole chapter in Romans to explain what he's talking about, like the most important book he, he wrote. He takes a whole chapter to talk about freedom. And Paul says, essentially this, on disputable matters, love matters most. Hear me loud, church. On disputable matters, love matters more. I'm only saying what Paul said. He says, it is the most important thing. Jesus says, if you have, if you have everything, but you don't have love, you have nothing. The guy comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, the whole law, 613 laws. What's the most important? And what does he say? Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't have love, you miss the whole point of the whole thing. So Paul says, because you're free in Christ on disputable matters, love matters more. He uses food sacrifice to idols, sacred days, and alcohol. I would add to this list, the end times when Jesus is coming back. Love matters more. <laughs> Baptism, church polity, church governance, the sovereignty of God, open theism, Calvinism, uh, the gifts of the spirit, women in the church, politics, war, the Christian response, uh, human sexuality. On disputable matters, love matters the most. Because you're in Christ, you're free to let love lead on these matters. Paul says, in Christ, in Romans, in Christ, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. Faith that God will be God, and we don't have to play the role of judge and jury, we don't have to assume a role we were never intended to, to have. Faith in Christ that all of my value and worth and identity is already decided. So here's the key. Paul says, on these matters, stop passing judgment on one another. He doesn't say don't have an informed opinion. 
He doesn't say don't study the scriptures. He doesn't say don't have your own convictions. He doesn't say don't follow the spirit and study and think. He doesn't say any of that. But he says on these matters, disputable matters or secondary matters or non-essential matters, Paul says keep them between you and God. Isn't that lovely? Keep it to yourself, basically, is what he says. Don't hold an entire community hostage to your conviction on a disputable matter. That's what Paul's saying. Isn't that kind of like part and parcel for church and religious communities, basically? Like we divide over all these things that arguably they're, they're secondary. They're, they're not essential. And we make them essential. And I think this is what Paul is saying. So, at Awaken, there are Republicans and Democrats here. At Awaken, there are Calvinists and open theists. People who believe that God's sovereignty, that everything is, is within God's plan. Every, every moment of every day, every second. And then there are those who say it's a little more open than that. And there's free will and there's free choice. God somehow works it all together. Free will, open theism. Or Calvinism, open theism. There's both here. Egalitarians and complementarians in terms of marriage and how the role of men and women in a marriage should work. They're both here. Young earth creationists and evolutionists. They're both here. And everything in between. The point here is this. Because we are in Christ, and because we've agreed on something higher, something that is of more value, something that is non-negotiable or essential, we can extend freedom because we're in Christ to one another to maybe disagree on a disputable matter. This is news for the church in some ways. This, this is how it reads in covenant literature. With a modesty born of confidence in God, covenanters have offered to one another theological and personal freedom where the biblical and historical record seems to allow for a variety of interpretations. This commitment to freedom has kept the covenant church together when it would have been easier to break fellowship and further divide Christ's body. Amen! This is one of the reasons why I love being a part of this group of people. I didn't grow up in the covenant church. I'm not a denominational flag waver. You maybe you know these people. It's all about like their tribe and where they've come from. I got adopted into this group. And the more I read it, the more I, the more I study it, the more I listen, it's like, yes, yes, that's gospel, man. That's good news. And I think this one, Freedom in Christ, is just dead center. Because we're going to disagree on things. The Bible says it, I believe it, that's enough, is just ridiculous. The Bible might say it, but how we interpret it is really what's at stake, right? And when you disagree with someone, what's at, what's at question is not their commitment to Scripture or its authority, but how you interpret what has been said. So we're going to disagree on things. Can we say that there is a higher plane of things, the essentials, right? Scripture, necessity for new birth, dependence on the Spirit, what is the church? Can we agree on this higher plane of things to say, on these things we say yes to together, and so we do mission together for the sake of the gospel in the world, even when we might disagree on matters that are secondary, tertiary, or even further down? I think it's the only way forward. What does this mean for us? 
What does this mean for us as we try to live this out as a community? If we say we affirm freedom in Christ, I will remind you, friends, that freedom is harder. Doing this is way harder than fundamentalism, where all the lines are drawn and all, everything is clear and everybody knows. That's actually really easy in some ways because you know all the rules and you know what's good and you know what's bad and you know exactly how to do it and how not to do it. This is a little more difficult, and it will require from us a couple of different things. Do you guys remember the movie Shawshank Redemption? It's a great film, great film. A little, little guts, a little, little gritty at times, I will say, but there's this guy named Brooks, and he's this old guy that was imprisoned in like the 40s or 50s or something, and he had been in prison for like 40 years. The world had changed while Brooks was in prison. He gets let out. And there's this beautiful scene where he's standing at the front, at like in front of the gates of his prison, right? And the look on his face is just absolute terror. Because freedom is actually really scary, can be really scary. And imprisonment or where all the rules are set for you is kind of comfortable sometimes because you don't even have to think. Everything is told, every, you know, you're told what to do every day. And Brooks just can't make the transition. I think some, in some ways, freedom requires things from us that are, that are going to stretch us. And so as the church, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge us this morning in a couple of ways, to grow in a couple of areas. One is maturity and wisdom. Freedom in Christ and living in this way, affirming this idea, will require from us growing in maturity and in wisdom. And I've said this before a couple weeks back, but I'll say it again. We need folks who are in their second half of life in this community. So if you're here and you're in that category, self-defined, well done, James. Well, you can define what that means. If you're in that category, can I just continue to encourage you? We need your voice. We need your wisdom. We need your maturity. We need your time and your years that were necessary to forge wisdom and maturity. So please, engage in formal ways and informal ways. A couple weeks ago, I gave this challenge, and I was so proud of you guys, so proud of this community, because I heard all these little stories of people who were calling up younger folks in our community and saying, hey, can we have coffee? Can I take you out for a beer? Can we grab a meal together? Yes, well done. Good job, church. As your pastor, I'm so proud of you. So proud of you. Did you know that there are many people in this community who didn't have fathers like you? who don't have fathers like you. And there are people in this room who didn't and don't have mothers like you have mothered your children. There are people in this room who have no, no person that they respect or look up to in their vocation and trying to figure out how to make a living in this world. And guess what? You do the same thing they're trying to do. So please, engage. We need wisdom and we need maturity. I would also say we need to further and deepen our relationships with one another. This is really difficult, especially as Awaken grows. The bigger we get, the harder this becomes. So stick around for the next couple weeks because we're actually going to talk about this. How do we say yes to what the Spirit's doing here at Awaken and still say we want to go further and deeper in relationship? A couple of, maybe a year ago or something, I'm driving around with my kids, and one of them says, so, Dad... What happens if I don't believe what you believe and I don't want to go to church anymore? Wells and fences. Right? 
No, you will go to church because I will take you to church. You will do what your mother and father tell you to do because that's what we do. That's what our family does. Anybody ever been told that before? Wells and fences, friends. These are the kinds of conversations that will require depth of relationship and trust with one another. And if this isn't present, we can't do a well. Well, sweetheart, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think it's important to affirm the things we affirm as a family? What do you think about Jesus? I mean, do you think the resurrection actually happened? That's pretty crazy. Hopefully, someday, your mom and I will have done a good enough job to prepare you to make a decision for yourself. For now, because of your age, we're going to ask that you come to church with us because that's something that we value as a family, even if you're not sure about it. And then someday you're going to have to make that choice for yourself. I have hopes and dreams and thoughts about that that I would love to talk to you about and walk with you through, but it's your choice, babe. That's holy. Like, that's freedom. And that is scary to say those kinds of things. But do we believe that God is good? Do we trust that God is true? And if God is true, then where will they go? What will they find? So it's going to require deepening and furthering of our relationship with one another. This is why life groups are so important. This is why getting together outside of Sunday morning is essential. Last, I'll say this. It's going to require you to to have courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the unwillingness to let fear dictate your actions. To have courage to release our grip on control. Affirming freedom in Christ and living as a community with a well in the center will require from us great courage to release our grip on control. Because when we're in control, we know the outcomes and where the lines are, and it's comfortable and it's safe. And quite frankly, we like that. I like that. But we're not going to do it because it's safe or comfortable. If you're looking for that, we need your parking spot. We need your seat. That's what you're looking for. It's not it. And by the way, control is a bit of an illusion. (laughs) Ask any parent who's had kids for longer than two days. (laughs) We have to be willing to hold loosely. Not this way. But what does it mean to have a faith that looks like this? This is what I think. This is what I believe. This is what I'm convinced of today. With all all that I've learned up till now, all that I know, all that the scriptures have revealed, all that God has revealed to me, this is what I believe. And I offer it. We have to release our grip on what we think we can control. And trust that God is God. God is good. And at the heart and at the very center, 
as John says, God is love. God is light. And if we surround ourselves and center this community around that, we're going to be okay. So, my friends, wells and fences. Pray with me. Good and gracious God, Give us the eyes to see you for who you are. Give us the ears to hear the sound of your voice. It seems that in the scriptures, seeing and hearing is not a given. So in this moment of silence that we want to set aside on this day, this morning, Speak to us, invite us, challenge us, remind us of who you are. I want to close with this blessing, this benediction that Paul writes to the church in Rome, a church that I presume he loved a great deal. So may the hope of God fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grace and peace, my friends. Love you. See you next week. You can find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.